Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hey y'all, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I want to welcome back to the show new and old listeners and a few watchers. I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an editor at Rotten Tomatoes where I cover independent film and awards. I'm Mark Ellis. I'm a stand-up comic, Rotten Tomatoes correspondent. And Jacqueline, I don't know if you know this about me, I am very particular when it comes to the way blood is portrayed on screen. Really? Well, I'm somebody that thinks vampires have and always will be sexy. Today we're going to be talking about 1998's Blade, Wesley Snipes, the original Passenger 57. This is the movie that gave us pretty much the MCU as we know it. And shout out to Mark Hoffmeyer and his family. And that's the same Mark Hoffmeyer that we do mention when we talk about research. Apparently he's a big fan of Blade. So Mark, let me tell you, you give us so much. Thank you for giving me the chance to talk about Blade because the movie's 56% rotten on the tomato meter, but... The audience loves it at 78%. And we have a guest today who I think is going to bring the right perspective on our first, you know, black superhero, the guy that kicked off the MCU and looking to be our next superhero in the MCU. That's right, Blade. But before we get there, Mark, please break down for me the synopsis of Blade. Oh, this is fun, Jacqueline. So, okay, look, I, I got bad news and good news. Which one do you want first? I want the bad news. I'm the same way. I like the bad news first. So here it is. Vampires are real, and yes, they feed on the blood of human beings, and that is a tough bridge to cross. However, we have some people on our side. When I say people, I mean a half-human, half-vampire named Blade, played by Wesley Snipes. So he's a daywalker. He walks in both worlds, like when I was a chubby kid but could also play sports well. That is who Blade is for vampires, and so he is out to get rid of all the vampires because they're feasting on humans, and Blade doesn't like it because he's half a human himself. And so he has some helpers on his side. He's got Whistler, he's got Karen, and then on the bad side, uh-oh, here comes Deacon Frost. That's played by Steven Dorff. He is actually kind of a rogue vampire, so he goes against the Council of Vampires, and he wants to just feast on everybody right now. He wants to rule the humans. Blade doesn't like it. Who side is going to win? That's why we watch Blade. I'm right there with Mark Harfmeyer and his whole family. I believe they watch the Blade trilogy every Christmas. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you gave respect to the trilogy because it does need to be the trilogy. Blade Trinity gets a lot of mess, which we'll talk about later. But <laughs> um, I love Blade Trinity. We'll do an episode on that one later. Right, producer Lucy? Can we agree that since we're doing Blade now that I can also go ahead and sign up to say for us to do Blade 3? 100%. 100%. Also, um, again, Lucy's with us today. She may pop in and out. But without further ado, please allow us to introduce our guest for today. He's returning to the podcast. Uh, this is Mr. Jay Washington. Jay is a stand-up comedian and actor, and he's a host and co-host and creator of Blurds in the Hood with a previous friend of the pod, Mr. Winston A. Marshall. It's on a YouTube channel where they talk about pop culture, sports, and politics from the Blurred perspective. So help us welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Jay Washington. Hey, Jay. Hey, Jacqueline. Hey, Mark. Hey, Lucy. Jacqueline, your voice is so comforting. 
It's is like, it? yeah, it's like, hey, everyone, listen. Today, this is easy <laughs> listening with Jack Coley. Today, we'll be talking about Blade and the movie that was, and then go into Blade Trinity, the movie that wasn't. Like, that's <laughs> <laughs> listen, I listened to a lot of Quiet Storm I when I was tell. growing up. And you know what? That's that was my podcast voice before it was called the podcast voice. That's so your radio <laughs> voice. Let's have some. And ladies, if you want to feel sexy, me undies. Just we use the code Jacqueline for twenty percent off. Like I feel like that's what's happening Girl. next later. I think that's why Jacqueline and I do a podcast together so well because she has like the intelligent NPR sound, and I have like the we're back with more sports. Welcome to the jungle. Pew, Who's pew, winning pew. the Super Bowl? <laughs> I, I, every time Mark, I just wish I had a drop panel for when Mark talks because that's what I love. It, it feeds on each other. We're the we're perfect peanut butter Aww. and chocolate. I'm telling you. But Jay, let, let's let's keep it tight and talk with the beginning part. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? Rotten Tomatoes is absolutely beyond inhumanly wrong with this. This movie is not rotten. This movie, this movie is something unique. You know, everyone does bring up that it's the first Marvel movie, but you got to remember, it wasn't marketed that way. This was marketed as an action horror movie. So when everybody's like, oh, Blade's the first black superhero movie, it's like, that's not what this movie was. Most people didn't even know Blade was a Marvel character. Let's keep it real. Most people didn't know. Most people didn't remember the comics, let alone the 90s Fox Kids animated Spider-Man cartoon. So they didn't know who Blade was. But people just got excited. You had Wesley Snipes, one of the top action actors at the time fighting vampires like yeah this movie was amazing i saw and then it was a horror movie on in every level of a horror movie it was an r-rated horror movie and like it you felt as if when they originally cut this and they kept sending it back to the academy rating committee they were like hey man you got to take out at least three more f words and, and some level of blood because at this point you're gonna be in c17 <laughs> let me just go ahead and put it out here we like to keep the podcast pg but i'm gonna drop a line a little bit where because there's a line that's just too good so sorry mom uh please tell, me it's my, uh <laughs> please tell me please tell me it's the same line i, I think uh, Wait, we'll get there we'll get there okay, jay before okay. we get there though but before we get there we do have to um throw it to mr tim ryan our review curation manager the man that takes us back Back to where we were in 1998 and what the critics and audiences were saying about Blade. So, Tim, take it away. Thank you, Jacqueline. Blade was a Marvel movie before there was necessarily a thing like a Marvel movie in capitals. It's one of those sort of interesting eccentric projects that wouldn't necessarily fit very well into the larger MCU. And what's interesting, when it came out at the time, it was greeted as much as a vampire movie or a horror film as it was a comic book movie. Looking at it today, aside from some dated CGI, there's a lot of ways in this mo- in which this, we can put this movie into sort of a proper context that didn't necessarily exist at the time. It's not like it was necessarily poorly received exactly. It's rotten, but it's at 56% on the tomato meter with 104 reviews. The audience score is 78%. And overall, the general critics' consensus was that Blade was stylish and bloody, maybe a little too gory, but the action sequences were really exciting, but also that the characters were a little thin. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Anne Hornaday of the Baltimore Sun wrote, Much of the success of Blade is due to Wesley Snipes, who plays the title character with mountain-like quietude and sensual strength, an effect deepened by his digitally enhanced voice. On the other hand, in a rotten review, Christine James from Box Office Magazine wrote, With more holes than a neck at a vampire smorgasbord... Blade takes a slice-and-dice approach to the resurgently trendy horror genre with choppy results. So that's Blade. I'll let Mark and Jacqueline sink their teeth a little deeper into this one, but a lot of people still think it's fang-tastic. That's our boy right there. Tim! (laughs) I missed him. I, I will keep saying that until we're back in the land of the living, as I like to say, but... I, I love when Tim's in his juices, and he's definitely in his juices on this one. I remember seeing this is one of those ones I actually saw in the theater. This was high school, barely Jacqueline, I think, like maybe going into high school, Jacqueline, high school, high schoolish Jacqueline. And I do remember being like, oh no, we're going to see Wesley. Um, because, you know, they kind of say as much um, when we get into the research. Like, Wesley was like one of the three black actors at the time that could like open a movie. Um, so I don't know. It's, Probably, yes, obviously, that's one of the reasons why I love it, but there's so many other reasons. But, Jay, let's start with you. Why 
do you love Blade? Like, why is this movie, why is Rotten Tomatoes so wrong about it, and why do you love it? It goes back to what I was just saying about how Wesley wasn't, like you just said, with Wesley being one of the black actors that could actually open a movie and make it successful at the box office. I was a fan of Wesley. Like, I've, I've been a fan since I remember first seeing him. I can't, Man, what was it? What was the first movie I think I saw? It was so many movies. But I think like, for me it was Major League. That was the first one That's what it I was, clocked. yeah, Major League. Major League, when I first saw him there, it's like you see him there and then to follow his career, Passenger 57, White Men Can Jump, all these other movies, and then even, I'll go fast forward real quick, to when I got to work with him in Chirac, I was like, oh my God, I'm working with Blade. Oh my Jesus. But like, but you have that. Also, this movie, yeah, if for the CGI for 1998 for what you get, it works. There are some scenes where you look at the CGI where you're like, hey, y'all didn't really need CGI blood dropping on people's heads. Like, you could have just had blood dropping on people's heads. But the fight scenes, again, Wesley Snipes, excuse me, being a well-accomplished martial artist, that works. You know, you can have a stunt coordinator, a fight coordinator, and teach some people, or you can have the actor learn some things before filming, but to have him already have this knowledge and to just you know, incite that, whatever my tongue is trying to say, just input that into the actual filming of the movie, you got all the action scenes works. And then not not to mention, Chris Christopherson is amazing as Abraham Whistler. We don't give him enough credit for that because, like, he was just so nonchalant. Yep, I and killed he looked vampires. Cool. He, looked he had that like cool. Chris Elliott coolness to him. No, I get it. No, I then, get it. Don't forget Wesley, a he, badass. Wait, and the cab. He put gas into the car that was running out. Then lit a cigarette like it was nothing. Like. That's what you love. You know, all these different elements. And I could get on the Bush right and everybody else, but just them two at, at the helm, at the forefront. Steven Dorff with so much pancake makeup on, it was like, yo, are you trying to be Pee Wee Herman? It was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I can mean, see the Pee Wee connection. Yeah, I like. Yeah. What about, what, what about, this is, I got to do the clock back. This is after Pee Wee had his moment. So he was he was out of the view at this time. But, you know, he may have been behind one of the makeups and the extra in the first scene. Mark, what about you? Why do you love this movie? I love this movie for some of the reasons Jay just mentioned, too, because it's it, it's a great watch. Like, it, it's a good movie in and of itself. And then I tend to love movies more when you look at the hurdles they were up against or how they foretold things to come. And back in 98, this movie is not released in the height of comic book movie celebration fandom that we have today this is not like this thing drops and everybody's going to get excited about it this thing comes out and it's on the heels of comic book movies like spawn like batman and robin like barbed wire and it's like okay we're just trying to string together things it it, it, we don't know how to make a comic book movie relevant yet and this set the template for that there's a few cartoony moments for sure but the, my overwhelming thought re-watching this movie is how the fight scenes still hold up. Wesley Snipes still holds up. Chris Christopherson's great. You have your sidekick. You have your A-villain. You have this weird vampire council. You just have so much stuff that horror movie fans would love. But the action is so well done that you cannot resist it. And as soon as the movie's over, probably like how a vampire feels when they're done biting a neck, you just want more. Yeah, um, I will agree to both of you on what y'all loved about it. It's probably what I loved about it in 98 and even immediately after. But when I was watching it again uh, last night, it was different. I just kept thinking about all the movies. And one of them that you mentioned, actually, Mark, Barbed Wire. I was also thinking about Tank Girl and Johnny Monic, And even later with Constantine. Like, that was my sweet spot of that, like, weird Hong Kong, like, even a little bit of Cool World type, like, like stuff from that, like, late 90s Gen X feeling your juices uh, movie making. So That's my juices. sweet spot. A lot of yeah, like right in there. It's a sweet spot. Vampire. Listen, there's a lot of juices in the vampire movie, Jay. Strap in. Strap in. There's a lot of red juice in this movie. A lot of red juice. From the jump, there's a lot of red juice. That's why I loved it. That's why I love the movie because it felt, it felt within that world and this was one of the first movies that put those campy elements with the superhero stuff together in a way that was cohesive and then we saw that formula getting even more tight when you had movies like Constantine later, which again, we will discuss, but misused by the critics, but I, that's where I liked it. And then later they sort of perfected it when they got to the Matrix. Like the Matrix is when that really sort of like, 
that's when that's like hits all together. Everything hits right. Um, I think right at the right moment and right at the right time. So yeah, uh, every everything that comic book fans say they want in a film today is what Blade gives them because everybody says, oh, I wish students would take a chance and make an R-rated comic book movie. Blade did that. I wish we'd get authentic, realistic feeling fight scenes. Blade did that. I wish it would stay faithful to the comics. Every shot in this movie virtually is ripped right from the pages of a Blade comic book. And so this gives the fans what they want, but it doesn't alienate people like me who did not read Blade growing up. And it doesn't feel, and that's the thing, it doesn't feel like a comic book movie at all. That's one of the things, you know, even I'm a diehard fan of the MCU. I love everything they've done. I love what DC tries to do every now and then, every other three movies. But, like, they feel like comic book movies still. You know what you're watching. You know you're like, okay, this is from some panel here. This is from this er series here, this issue here. Where it was Blade, you were just like, oh, I'm here for the ride. You just sat back and you were here for the ride for that entire movie. And like I said, you had Stephen Dorff as Deacon Frost. They took a whole different iteration was of what it was in the comics. And they were like, all right, we're going to give you this more 90s, he's generational type villain. And it worked. You put Donald Logan. In, they even got Tracy Lawrence. They was like, hey, look, we need you to come on and do this. You ain't going to say that much, <laughs> but you're going to be here. Okay, You're going to get like. Eight lines total. Like, they not going to be low. Believe me, you are not getting a lot of dialogue. But you can be here. Like, <laughs> But it, it was, look, it was a movie that was style, like, over substance. Like, it was all about the style. It was all about the way that it looked. And it kind of kicked off from that opening. And I know, Jay, that's, like, one of the reasons why you love the movie is that opening scene. So break down the blood rage. First of all, so you see a guy in a car with a woman. Be well, she's driving. And she just teased him. What you got down there, big boy? And all, look, she calls him little man. And he was like, big surprise. She's like, oh, my heat seeker missile. He was like, she's like, oh, I bet you do. Takes my man into a slaughterhouse, which, by the way, you've heard of a lot of different rave clubs and mysterious clubs hiding different places. So it isn't weird for it to be there at first until do see a cadaver go past me like, hey, what is this? And she's like, no, just keep on walking. First of all, let me tell you something. You ain't never that horny. When you see a body in plastic and you like, oh, I'm going to just keep going. Like, no. Like, <laughs> hey, we need to stop and talk about this, ma'am. We need to address this. Then you got the big vampire guard who, again, I'm at a slaughterhouse. Why is a six foot three Russian looking dude sitting here talking about some little thing? You responded and you just kissed me in the mouth and think it's okay. All right, whatever. Then you get to this nightclub. And then all of a sudden, it's like a rave. Okay, cool. This is what it is. But man sit around and all of a sudden feel a drop on his head. Look and see his blood. Looks up and just, ah, no! Get down there, little man. Oh, that's my heat seeker. Then it is. Ah! <laughs> so where are we going? To surprise me. Yeah, I like surprises. Yeah. What the fuck are we doing here? Let me tell you something. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Jesus couldn't have been me. I'd have been sliding on that flow. I'm standing up. Everybody trying to grab me. Let me just crawl and slide on through the flow. It's blood. It's slippery. Anybody paying attention to me down here unless they just sniffing me out? Mm -mm. <laughs> no. Then he tried to run. One dude hit him in the face. Like, that was the thing. It took a minute before people decided, to, let's knock him out because he's going to be lunch. Also, it's 300 people in the club. One dude. Y'all got blood coming from fountains in the ceiling. You don't need to drain, fam. Let him enjoy his night. Can you imagine? Mama, I'm going to be at the club tonight. Uh, Yeah, I got this little chick I met. We met down at the bodega. You know what I'm saying? We met downtown. We're going to go and kick it tonight. Like, I'll call you in the morning when I get back in. I love you, mama. Now, as mama waiting on the call, 8 in the morning, baby, you possibly couldn't call him. If it wasn't for Blade, think about it. If Blade don't show up, he ain't at Thanksgiving dinner that gear you know what I'm saying and I love that you gave him a southern accent because that dude looked really bro -y. that dude looked very much like bra he like he very, had on a backwards kango which already I'm glad Jay's concerned about him. his family and and him making Thanksgiving <laughs> that that's really the point of this movie is Blade 
Blade saves Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, can, you, yeah. can you imagine Blade saves Christmas? Like Blade got to take over for Santa. Santa been built, been bit. Whistler taking care of him in an old industrial garage that, for some reason, has an unlimited supply of unleaded gasoline. Like nobody thinks about this. We all live in L.A. We know cars ain't driving down the street with no license plate. The LAPD pull you over like that, especially if you're a black man in a black car, with black tinted windows. You get out with a leather jacket with another and OPP, a bulletproof vest, a nah, bulletproof vest and an OPP an jacket under it. No, you going to no. jail? Like there's no reason. When Blade shows up at that rave scene, it's like it, it, that is where it, it sort of telegraphs in a good way that hey, we have we have this as a comic book movie because we do have a hero. This isn't just this like yeah. gross out horror movie, but I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that so effectively announces itself as rated R without the early use of either gratuitous violence, which I'm just talking about the blood. There's literally, it's called a blood raid because there's blood coming out of the fire safe sprinklers. (laughs) That is what makes this rated R, okay? Right there. It's not some giant sex scene. It's not a bunch of nudity. It's not a bunch of F-bombs. It is a bunch of blood raining from the ceiling. And then to see Blade show up is just this ultimate battler of these people. It was just so well done, and it locks you exactly into what this movie's going to be. Also, you have the vampires who knew ex- the little vampire teenagers and ravers who was like, oh, no, it's him. So oh, yeah. he- here's my problem. You know it's the Daywalker. The Daywalker has a reputation of killing vampires. If I'm one half of the crowd, I'm like... You know what? This party was fun. I got to go. Then you got some other people who tried to run up and fight him. He got a sword and a shotgun. He got a shotgun that is shooting stakes that he never reloaded. No one ever brings this up. He never reloads the shotgun, right? And everybody's like, oh, I'm going to run up and try to fight him. No, even old girl in the beginning, like, I'm going to rip your effing head off. How, ma'am? Please tell me how. Let me know how you finna rip this black dude. It's a black she dude. She tried. A black dude in a leather jacket in a rave with a shotgun that shoots stakes. Ma'am, you have zero chance and he got nothing to lose. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, I love the stylishness of this. Let's be honest. This movie gave birth to an entire generation of EDM heads. Like this this was the movie they watched at like eight and then they became like Dylan Francis at 28. Like I'm personally, that is my (laughs) positive thought. Like Calvin, Calvin Harris definitely saw this movie. Diplo was there. Actually, Diplo was old enough to probably he's a lot older than he portrays. But anyway, Diplo you know was what I'm in the movie. Diplo was in the movie as an extra. We I just was didn't say, know. Like, no, nah, yeah, we didn't know that. But no, it's 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 so interesting to see like. Again, just like the look and the feel of it. Wesley even talked about it. Shout out again to Mark Hoffmeyer and his research. It had that perfect intersection of like Hong Kong culture and like hip hop and EDM. It was just all kind of mixed in in this great sort of, I think, combination that you didn't know you would enjoy. Just the sort of like sci-fi fantasy and sort of Hong Kong culture. Again, I go back to Tank Girl. I go back to Johnny Mnemonic where they did that so well. Even like Barbed Wire, which... We need to do a barbed wire episode if Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. And I cannot wait to do that because shout out to Pamela Anderson. That was my girl at the time. I think the scene for me that sort of also solidifies the like comparisons of it. There's a Constantine scene in that one where they also decide to like bring things down from the sprinkler system. Francis Lawrence watched Blade before he started like working on the script for Constantine. That's just all I have to say about that. And but the scene that I love is actually when, you know, the black girl that, you know, Blade rescues, which we only got a black girl by the way because Wesley Snipes insisted on it, which I'm so glad because it adds a whole nother layer to the story, which I'll get into later when I talk about Stephen Dorff. But Pearl. Pearl is this obese like vampire, which is obese in Mark- the world you want to use. Oh, that's beyond obese. That's just I mean, it's a very big vampire. The actual animatronic that it was made out of, it took four people to like like maneuver it. And if you look at Tank Girl, that's like the big black dude in Tank Girl that's like in his like you know 
uh, what do they call it? Like he's in the, what do they call that thing? Like the bulldozer? That's like his bed, the big black dude that's in that one. You know what I mean? It's like that same sort of vibe. And I love that she just fried the shit out of him. She's I, there going to Pearl looking for information. And yeah. they use this UV light to fry him. And it's a total scene of exposition. That's the only reason why it's there. But we got a good chance to fry up a fat vampire who we found out later the reason why he's fat. He eats the bodies of babies. And he's become addicted to baby bodies. Fry him. We're going to play a little game of 20 questions. Depending on how you answer, you may walk out of here with a tan. What's that? Oh, that, oh, it's nothing. It's routine research. (laughs) Actually, it's a video game. Okay, that's why. I didn't realize that. I I missed that upon my rewatch. But I... Jay, I don't know It wasn't in the rewatch. It was in the research. It was in the research. I felt... Well, then I definitely didn't see it. I felt bad for Pearl when I was watching it. I don't know if y'all felt bad for Pearl initially because he's just being fried. And I'm like, okay, well, look, is this even... I didn't even register it was a vampire. It just looked like... It looked like it was... Just for reference, this is how big and bulbous Pearl is. It took three people to operate Job of the Hut. Okay, this one took another person to operate Pearl effectively. And yeah, the UV light—you just feel bad watching this creature just fry. But now that I know that baby is in fact a Pearl's a baby muncher, Jay, I take it all back. I love the fact that when she, when she started with Karen, Dr. Karen just started frying him. Blade don't do nothing but just turn his head like, well, I'm not going to watch this. Like, also, what did it smell like frying? Because you know Pearl ain't taking no baths at all. Like, it got this smell like all type of old Crisco depression and souls. Like, it just got this smell like all let to be damned. Like... And then just you just kept for like this is how upset Karen. This is a black woman thing because she you know she was pissed from already being bit because she he told him like yo if she moves fryer and just let the light stay like just. I'll tell you exactly what the smell was. The smell was any college dorm the week after they get a George Foreman grill. That's what the smell Bro, of Pearl was. Horrible! You are a horrible individual for that. <laughs> we couldn't get the smell out the entire semester. Do they still do that in dorm rooms where they let them have little kitchenettes? Because I remember getting in trouble because I had a microwave, a fridge, a George Foreman grill, and a hot plate. And everyone was like, why don't you just go to the cafeteria? I'm like, I'm not eating them people's food. Like, I was very (laughs) anti-college food when I moved to the dorms. And now I'm like, I had a full place that I could go to where they would make me food. I would go there every single day rather than make anything after it really is like You do wonder what, how these, how, like, like Blade and Whistler played by Chris Christopherson and and later, Karen, at like, where do they go to eat? Do they order in? Grubhub wasn't around in the late 90s. And for my scene, is like I, I could take any fight scene, right? Because my favorite fight scene in this movie is we get a cool fight scene in a vampire lair. We get a cool fight scene at the little lair where Blade makes his home. We also have this fight scene in this like weird house of mirrors. Yeah. It feels so yes. horror movie because there's this like teenager vampire who apparently is an accomplished martial artist. Blade didn't know until it's too late <laughs> running around. And that feels exactly like a horror movie. And so how much it this movie wants to be a horror comic book movie, it succeeds in that. And that is that scene is a reason why. Why am I hearing gunfire? Huh? Did I tell anybody to start shooting? I need him alive. No. I just work for them! Jesus Christ, lock this place down. Yes, sir! So, I could point to that as the thing that w- when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, this is exactly the kind of tone. Like, they're nailing this. They, they are crushing this movie right now. Yeah, Jay. I can picture. I can picture right now, Whistler. Yeah, I like to order a pizza for delivery. Yeah, where? Look, it's an industrial warehouse way back in uh, South Central LA. <laughs> look, so what you gonna do is when you turn the corner, it look like there's nothing there. Trust me, you just turn. You're not gonna get robbed. Keep driving all the way down. There's gonna be a black dude in a leather jacket to greet you. Don't be scared of him. Yes, he has a sword. Just give no. him the pizza. That, they never, they're never delivering that pizza. The Ninja Turtles knew. 
Less information is more. Oh yeah, this is the Ninja life. Turtles were like, "Here's a twenty, bruh," and like, ne- just don't even tell them anything. The Ninja Turtles gave an address, and the dude was looking. It was like one twenty two with an eighth. Where's one twenty two with an eighth? And then out of the great Michelangelo goes, "You standing on it, dude." First of all, I'm a pizza delivery dude. This is my job. Okay, I'm not just gonna slide no pizza down the grate until the money comes up. And I'm like. Well, this is the transaction. Go take it. It's out of my hands right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love it. Well, I mean, Mark brought up the fight scene, and that is a good fight scene. I think a lot of people point to the end fight scene with Steven Dorff. I think Jay touched on this, too, as, like, another reason why he loves the movie. But, like, the cast that they put around Wesley was so great. Everyone from the guy that plays Quinn, I forget what that actor's Donal- name is. Lo- Donald Logue. Donald Logue. Is- Donald Logue, is that the guy that plays yeah. Quinn? Yeah, the one that keeps just, basically, he's like the energizer bunny of vampires. Like, dude just will not quit. Like, they cut off his arm. They fry his face. They do all kinds fry of stuff. Fry his whole him. body. He fried yeah, they fry the his whole body. Like, he's the one that bites the black girl. There's so many great, Chris Christopherson, obviously. Um, yeah, the whole cast is amazing. But for me, it's actually um, a lot earlier. It's a lot earlier in that when Stephen Dorff and... Mbouche are on the couch and that scene where he sort of is like being weird he's implying that Blade ain't hitting it right um he's basically like you know what's wrong with you sis you need to smile more like there's just so much toxic male white masculinity in that scene of him just being like you know just in his juices thinking he's about to win and she's giving him that Michelle Obama at the inauguration uh, stare <laughs> really Living. Seem a bit tense. A bit pent up, maybe. Like I need to release something. No? Blade not giving it to you, maybe? I see such a beautiful woman. Great skin. I'd like to see you happy, that's all. Is this the part where you offer to turn me? Well, it's either that or a body bag. And the reason why I love it is because she is so not about him. And he is so much like, oh, I just see a beautiful woman. And when we get the big reveal at the end, this was when I knew. And I knew it in 1998. And I knew it last night when I rewatched it. He has the twinkle. And for folks that don't know what the twinkle is, the twinkle, you know who has the twinkle? Robert De Niro has the twinkle. Yes, he does. You know who has the twinkle? George Lucas has the twinkle. You know who has the twinkle? One of the critics who gave this movie a fresh review. I've been a black woman living in some pretty predominantly white spaces for a long time. I know a dude with the twinkle. And they wrote the character character of Frost <laughs> as a white boy with the twinkle and and a toxic one at that. Like this is the white boy like when you find out that he's like, you know, talking mess about stuff but he got a sister at home. That is the twinkle Steven Dorf and I love that they wrote him that way and that scene plays out exactly the way it, it does with me when I see those dudes. I'm like, "You you fetish look. No, you sit down." <laughs> You sit down. That's because he so. also had all the different vampire honeys at his little pool party on the I mean, rooftop. Seriously. And, and, but none of, none of them was sisters that was on him. If you ever noticed, all of them, he was like, yeah. oh, girl was like, Frost was a nice party. Frost ain't thinking about none of y'all. He down no. here decoding things because he got Sanaa Lathan waiting in a timed coffin. He's got Blade's mom. You talk about a twinkle. He's got yeah. a twinkle for Blade's mom. Blade's yeah. mom. This is, this is such a great thing to bring up in this movie because Deacon Frost, his, who is Stephen Dorff's character, the whole movie, he's running against what the vampire council prefers because they're born vampires. This guy was bit and was turned. And so they kind of look at him like he's not really one of us. And so he takes that and tries to conquer all the humans. And the way that he does it, if he had somebody that was not comic relief, like Don't Out Logue, somebody who could actually check him on his BS and say, dude, Oh, if you got the twinkle, that's fine. You cannot <laughs> sleep with Sanaa Vanessa because she happens to be Blade's mom. Mom, yeah. Do not and, and sleep look, with the mom of your enemy. Look, he's the one that set it all off. He's the one that bit Blade's mom, killed her. It's the whole like genesis of the story. I just love that the genesis of the story was this little white boy that couldn't admit his own <laughs> desires. Like, really, <laughs> let's talk about it. That's how the whole movie started. That's how we got there. And in that scene, after you know they have kidnapped Mbouche 
And Stephen Dorff has taken her to his lair. He's waiting for Blade to come because he wants to turn her into the, he wants to use the Daywalker so he can become the big bad vampire dude and and sort of like, you know, vampire inception the world. That scene to me is really one of the favorite ones. Jay, what's another scene for you that really sort of like Brina, I like how you just turned around on the subplot of this movie is you need to accept you like chocolate women. That's the subplot of this whole women. Seriously. <laughs> no, admit, me- your, admit what you love. Don't be ashamed of it. Embrace it. And we wouldn't have had a, there would have been a lot less problems. I need, I need to see the Bible in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Deacon Frost. He's 90s generation. He has the twinkle. What's twinkle? He like black women. Like specifically milk chocolate black women. Uh, for me, it is the it is the book of Arabic scene, Mark, the one with the little black martial artist girl, because Wesley Snipes is caught off guard when she starts coming in with them kicks. But the best part is all of a sudden when he has this realization that he's like, oh, wait a minute, and just backhands are like, yo, he was like, be gone. Just like, poof. Because <laughs> like he, she catches him off guard because he's like, oh, look at the cute little girl. And then she starts throwing kicks. He's like, wait, you can fight? Okay, watch this. Bam. And you're like, oh, that's that's how we dispose of them. Because that's how it should be in real life. That's how you would dispose of that. It's one of my best scenes because, again, we have the motif of the Book of Erebus. It's always in every vampire lore how it's these giant pages that are just hanging that are in these glass cases and everything. And then all of a sudden, Blade just like, man, the hell with y'all history. Just starts destroying them. And then they catch up with him. And you got uh, you got Quinn, Donnell Logue's character, who's like, man, I got you. And he stabbed He was like, oh, you think I'm alone? And then here come Chris Christopherson busting through and everything. Like, it's so intricate their relationship and where do they get all this equipment you know what i'm saying we got all this high-tech transmitters like i ain't alone then you got all these weapons whistler is sitting up here making like he just stealing military grade weaponry nobody ever was like yo we need to follow where this black dude goes at night it's my <laughs> it's the same theory i have with the ninja turtles is that i think that the ninja turtles fight for justice but i think splinter pulled leonardo aside and he's like hey you gotta knock off one bank we, like, like we, we need money so you, you gotta you gotta go like just knock off this this wells fargo we'll never tell the other turtles about it it'll be cool you gotta well, do says some that, bad to save a lot of lives well blade says that in a sense when they send dr jensen back home and officer krieger shows up and after he's whooping on us she was like so you about to rob him he was like how do you think we fund this organization we're see? not ex- we're not exactly the march dimes like he said it's so smooth like and we're robbing and- people <laughs> That line is because Wesley Snipes is so good as Blade because he really plays him tough, but he gives you glimpses into his humanity and into a sense of humor. So you have when he gets shot at the hospital and and he's got his great line and he's got a great line about Deacon Frost and vampires towards the end. And my other scene is when Chris Christopherson has to administer this serum that helps keep Blade's vampire tendencies at bay. It, it keeps him right on that line of half human, half vampire. And Blade, by this point, the serum isn't as strong as it needs to be, and it hurts more. And so Blade has to be restrained and chained down. And you really get to see that this is just a person who is struggling. He doesn't look like it. He's not going to admit it to any vampires, but he is really having a tough time. And you get that relationship of Blade and Whistler as Whistler is is sort of like his older brother or cool uncle, sort of maybe not really father figure. He's just he's just I feel like that's who Chris Christopherson is to any young person in real life. I feel like it's not an uncle. It's not a dad. It's just Chris. I took a look at that notebook of hers. She's on to something. I had to increase the dose. It's over 50 milligrams now. That's getting dangerous. Just do it. Oh, man. It's the same character Sam Elliott played for Dalton and Roadhouse. I mean, if you have a badass, yes. you have yes. to have that other dude like on his left side of the shoulder. I mean, look, it's the mentor and the badass. I mean, that goes from like Obi-Wan to Luke to all that. Like, it's, it's all part of that. And you need that, I think, to make this movie work the way um that it does I, yeah i mean it it's it's kind of incredible that the movie was able to be doing the stuff that it did both from you know the the hospital scene <laughs> i'm so, i mean and that's a wesley snipe line wesley snipe said he that line and the steven dorf at the end some dudes just want to skate uphill which is like the finale after their sword fight 
you know, the hemo, uh, the doctor, Karen, she has made a serum, like it literally just kills people. And, you know, it's just that great hasta la vista baby moment. Like you gotta have that. And I love that they were able to put that in there. Cause some people do always have to skate uphill. I skate think, uphill. Do you think they wrote in the script that Frost tells Blade, I am your father? Do you yeah. think? Um, and somebody was like, do you think, cause I mean, think about it, technically, Frost is the father of the Daywalker, not of Blade directly, not of Eric Brooks, but of the Daywalker. Do you think it was in there and somebody at the a new line was like, Ugh, we don't have enough money to get sued right now. Like, let's not do this. Yeah. I mean, look, in a lot of ways, I think we've already made the case that Blade is, is Star Wars. So let's just go and, ahead and put that out there. And here's the cool thing that, that I, I had the research read to me, as I do every week. And one of the notes that Mark Hoffmeyer or maybe somebody else in his family had made is that the original ending of this movie, Blade, was going to be much more fantastical, where Deacon Frost in the movie is trying to summon this like all-time vampire god or being, and he fails. But he was going to summon that thing. He was going to become that vampire, like of all vampire, ruling all vampires kind of thing. And the vampires were going to win at the end of this movie. It was going to be like a Rocky situation. The vampires were going to win. And then they're like, okay, well, look, we're still making this movie. It's $50 million movie. We don't know how much money it's going to make. It's not in the MCU yet. So we, we, or ever. So we don't have this. And uh, we don't know if we're getting a sequel, so let's have a happier ending. So then they, they sort of changed the ending on the fly. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I mean, they also like recut this entire movie, which I uh, let's go ahead and actually talk about, about that part. I want to bring it into the industry side of it because Mark sort of hinted at it, which is that this kind of gave birth to what we consider the modern day superhero movie after stuff like Batman and Robin had pretty much wiped away any idea we had of what a superhero movie should be. And after a lot of like lackluster attempts as far as both box office and critics, this was the one where I think they saw the formula and then it got tight in 2000. And if you actually want to see a video about how we break down um, sort of the history of superheroes and how they cast them, because Wesley was one of those last bastions of put a movie star in a movie. And it, it, it really, one of the reasons why it kind of got made was because they were able to put Wesley in it. And, and Jay, I know that's one of the reasons why like most of us at the time signed up for it. Because I think the director said it could have been Wesley, Lawrence Fishburne, and Denzel. And if you don't get one of those three dudes to do the movie, the movie doesn't get made. Right, Jay? No, I mean, you hear Lawrence Fishburne as Blade. Look, I get what he's done in deep cover, but you at this time you still uh, cowboy Curtis from Pee Wee's Playhouse to me. So it's like you're not. Hey, he gonna... pulled off the sunglasses though. He, <laughs> he pulled did. off the sunglasses in uh, in the Matrix, and Denzel pulled off the sunglasses in Book of Eli. So they can all do the sunglass thing. I get it, but like, yeah, it, it takes a Matrix to see that okay, Lawrence Fishburne could have done something, and now we get him as the Bowery King in John Wick. You know what I'm saying? So we see these different levels. Denzel, we've seen all his different iterations. But when you're thinking high-level action and martial artists more so, at that moment, you're thinking Wesley Snipes. Yes, sir. Yeah. And and my introduction to Wesley Snipes was the roles that he did in White Men Can't Jump in Major League. And so you, you didn't know see New Jack he, City? You didn't see New Jack City? You don't know about Nino I, Brown? I was nine, and I don't think I was allowed to. I don't think that uh, I <laughs> had the wherewithal back then to, to cobble together the bucks and the permission to go see New Jack City. <laughs> 
then you missed the greatest tear roll in the history of cinema. Oh. But keep going. Keep going, Jake. I've keep seen the movie hard. since. I'm just saying, when I was a kid, <laughs> I'm not really looking at New Jack City as like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I'm looking at White Men Can't Jump and thinking, I just want to move to Venice and just hustle people the rest of my life. And so... And as a black kid, we thought we wanted to be Nino Brown. We did not want to be G-Money because you saw what happened to G-Money at the end. <laughs> Well, hey, for white people, we didn't want to be Woody Harrelson at the end of White Men Can't Jump. We wanted to be Sidney Dean, okay? We we did not want to be Billy Hoyle. But what's fascinating about Wesley Snipes and his matriculation to Blade is that the original role that he had circled around in the world of comic books was actually Black Panther. He had, he had talked about that, and they had kicked the tires on Black Panther, and it didn't work out for whatever reason. And so then Blade comes around, and if you take what he did and how important that was for a a black lead to be the face of a comic book movie franchise that ended up being a trilogy then you also take that blade again two years before x-men came out and everybody credits x-men with the being the godfather of the modern day comic book movie after rewatching blade i'm sorry x-men i i love you to death I'm going back two more years and I'm saying Blade was that demarcation line that said, hey, Batman and Robin with your bat nipples and barbed wire with your sexploitation. We're done with that. We're making comic book movies and we're not afraid to go R. We're not afraid to be super violent, super gory, and we're not afraid to launch franchises with this stuff. Mark, it's great that you bring up the R part of it too and then also the Leslie part of it because look, Batman and Robin, that was like, Make George Clooney a star. Make Val Kilmer a star. Make Christopher Weaves a star. It was still that movie star formula. And the cool thing about Blade is it was the movie star formula. But the first thing they do with Blade, they make him a badass, but they don't make him Wesley Snipes the badass. He's underspoken, and it's the things around him that sort of make him the mythos. It is not the fact that we're just looking at, you know, Will Smith is now a superhero. You know, this is, this is I think, a little bit of a shift in that. Because by the time we get to X-Men... Look, we all knew who Patrick Stewart were because we watched uh, TNG. Most people were not checking on Patrick Stewart. Ian McCollum, this is pre-Lord of the Rings. Like, this dude was just like some guy from a theater stage. So they just started going to nobodies. And Halle Berry was the most famous person there. And she kind of got cast the same reason why Wesley did. She was the most bankable female black actress at the time. And they just needed a name in there. And so I actually agree with you on the fact that it, it, it is the kicking off point. But it still had that, like, movie star formula. So I like how they put a movie star in the movie and then took him out of the movie star sort of trope. But go ahead, Jay. That was the thing I was going to say. It, it's it's not really, I get what you're saying, Mark, after revisiting. But again, when you look at it, we go back to all these other movies. Again, you go back to the Donner Superman. You go back to Superman movies. You go back to so much. The, it was X-Men, I believe, that changed what we know now as comic book movies. Because now we got this, oh my God, these are the mutants. And they made them real life. You know, they didn't make them overly muscular as we saw in the cartoons. They made them yeah. actually look like people. And That's so like this is the straddling. I think this is straddling between the two. It's right. got a little bit yeah. of the camp from the early 90s, and then it's got the serious that goes on later. It is a perfect bridge, but it is the connector piece you have to have. Oh, and yeah. if and it's th- not there, we can't get to X-Men. And to be fair, X-Men had the pressure on it because even my, my mom knew what X-Men was. X-Men had the pressure of being a great comic book movie in the way that video game movies now feel that pressure. Whereas when Blade came out, y'all are right, it was not marketed as, hey, you, you know him from the comics. You love him from the comics. Come see the movie. It was marketed as Wesley Snipes beats the crap yeah. out of vampires. So but then from when that you perspective, you are correct. It, from the marketing perspective, yeah. it was not. X-Men had to be that next step. But this one, I'm just talking about staying uh, faithful to the war, regardless of whether fans are going to notice it or not, and taking the material seriously. Not making a movie so that you can sell a bunch of toys because they're based on comic books. Not trying to overly cater to kids because oh kids love comic book movies no this treated every comic book movie fan with dignity giving them what they want and making them be adults to digest it you don't get a deadpool without this yes absolutely our movies as we know them you don't get a deadpool you don't get a logan you don't get any of the way that they were able to stretch the idea of what a superhero movie could be um without this movie because this movie to what we've said before it committed to being a horror movie first 
And the fact that they were superhero and comic book characters was just a layer that it added on to it. There's a lot of layers to this movie that don't necessarily get taken at first glance. Like the fact that they essentially made Steven Dorff like a, a minority within his class. And there's a whole level of racism and discrimination within vampirism that essentially Steven Dorff is basically just trying for equal rights among vampires. He's tired of these people making him feel less than because he wasn't a pure blood. So screw it. Everybody's the same. And there's some weird like poetry in that, that the white boy is like basically Norma Ray of vampires. Like, I it's see a just, lot of X-Men there too. Yeah, though, because exactly. it, it's, it's almost like the vampire council is more on the side of Professor X where they're like, look, we have to, we have to live with the humans. They're our food, but we also can't expose ourselves to them. And then here comes Magneto, AKA Deacon Frost being like, no, we need to rule the human. We can beat them up. We should be ruling them. He even calls Blade, he said, tells Blade, don't do the Uncle, spare me the Uncle Tom routine here. You think that, he tells him that because he's not talking about Uncle Tom being black to white people in the sense that it's used. It's being, you're a half-breed vampire more than anything else. You think, like, you think they'll ever accept a freak like you. And in that conversation alone, it has so many similarities to actual real life civil rights issues, racial discrimination, and so much you just brought up, Jacqueline. Yeah, no, and I mean, look, and that was again what they did with uh, X-Men for folks that don't know. Uh, the It was Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. That was Professor X and Magneto. They were two men trying to achieve the same goal, going about it in very different ways, by any means necessary versus peaceful protests. But they were still trying to achieve the same end. And again, these movies are smarter than people give them credit for. Um, yes, we look at them from a different lens now, but there's a lot to be said for what this movie was able to achieve when it was able to achieve it. The fact that Wesley was able to, to fight to get Mbushi cast as the black lead, because I can't talk about the twinkle without that. And, and then Sanaa Lathan, because look, yes, I'm making a little bit of a joke in the sense of like, yes, you know, he's got other women around him, but I don't think it's any like coincidence that the two most significant women in this story from a story standpoint are the two black women next to Blade and by extension, then Steven Dorff for his relationship to them. There's something bigger in that than, than even me making the joke of like, yeah, he has probably has a thing for black girls. Like there's, there's still something um, I think to that. And I'm very interested to see where would they go with it because we just got the recent announcement that, you know, two-time Oscar winner, um, Mahershal Ali is going to be our next Blade, which I think anyone who saw Bra put that hat on at Comic Con two years ago. That was a moment. Jacqueline, were you in? Were you in the room? Were you in Hall H? No, I was I, backstage at the at the you know because they do the press lines. Yeah, and so I was back oh, right, there with the microphone right. doing you the had microphone the mic in the hand bit. and you were ready yeah. to, to. Um, I, I was I was there and I was pretty pretty close up and so just to like see how Marvel usually does their panels at Comic Con in San Diego every summer when we have Comic Con is this big room Hall H. 6,000 fans, most of whom slept overnight to get in to watch these cool panels, which are the studios announcing their upcoming slate of movies. And Marvel usually closes it out because nobody wants to, Jay, nobody wants to follow Marvel. Nope. Marvel is following nope. Chappelle. Nobody, nobody wants to follow Because nobody wants to say, yo, Marvel just announced their next eight slate of movies with four Oscar winners. Who's yeah. next? Who's next? Somebody that's got a, a cartoon coming up that just happened to get <laughs> Hall H, right? I mean, that was, that was crazy. That was when they announced Eternals and they got Angelina Jolie like this is so interesting because Wesley had not done any like I think serious like you know actorly stuff at that point but like Lawrence and Denzel had and they went with the action star like just from a you know I know the director said he wanted Wesley but let's just play devil's advocate and assume that at a certain point with the producer's mind's eye those three actors were equal Lawrence was in it was in um Boys in the Hood and he had that sort of like you know uh, what's love got to do with it? You know, Oscar nominated movie gravitas to his pedigree at that point. And Denzel obviously did too, because he had already done glory. He'd already done glory and cry freedom. And, you know, he was already an Oscar winner at that point. So they didn't choose that. They chose the action star. And now we're on the other side of it. 
where you're more likely to get cast in a Marvel movie if you've got an Oscar-winning movie behind you. You got Brie Larson, you got Angelina Jolie, you got um, Mahershala Ali, and Mahershala Ali himself said one of the reasons why he was able to get the meeting with Kevin Feige to say, hey, I just wanna do a movie with y'all was because he had two gold pieces of hardware sitting right behind you. Make sure you can, you you gotta include that, that he had two, because even with one, they still weren't talking to Mahershala. It was brought up that even with one, they were like, he won the second one and called in. And Kevin Feige was like, yeah, clear my schedule out whenever he wants it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's crazy. And they sort of did it as a tease when they announced it. It was like because they announced all these movies. And then like the last thing you saw on stage was Marshall Lee comes out. And then everybody, all 6,000 people, the realization of the same moment as he's putting the hat on. It's like, wait, what? What? And and it just and, and then that becomes the thing that you're talking about with all your friends leaving that panel is yeah we got a bunch of cool announcements but Mahershala as Blade but and that's all he had to do but everybody (laughs) everybody I've talked to said it would be great to have Mahershala carry on the the mantle and the torch of Blade but we gotta have Wesley Snipes back in that movie I believe he'll be I I think there will be I, I mean first of all look I think Wesley has been so great about the Post, I gotta pay some tax bill. Wesley's is I think yeah. he's enjoying making Let me the movie again. Yeah, because Wesley, look, my freedom, yeah, Wesley. Like, <laughs> listen, there was a whole thing. Wesley was a star, and then Wesley got a rep because, like, by the time we get to Blade Trinity, which I'm gonna just talk a little bit about before we, we get out of here, is that he had a reputation. You know, Patton Oswalt was like, this dude wouldn't talk to people on set, and Ryan Reynolds has kind of said the same thing. Wesley has been like, I don't know what these people are talking about. I was lovely, but there's been rumors <laughs> of his diva mentality. And then he goes to jail for tax evasion, comes out, has to do a whole bunch of Nicolas Cage style roles just to, like, I think pay the tax bill and get himself back even. But then now I think brother is able to have fun. He's doing Dolomite. He's doing coming to America. Like he's just having a good, fun time with life. And I am really enjoying watching Wesley Snipe. I think just enjoy being an actor and having a fun time again. And whenever him and Woody want to get together for a white man can't jump reunion. Thank you. Bet. I will take a money train sequel. Oh, money train. And bring Jennifer Lopez back. Yeah, uh, bring them all. It's back. the twentieth. It's the twenty. We're recording this right by the twentieth anniversary of the wedding planner, and I just wanted to say again, J Lo had the number one movie and the number one album at the box office. People need to put respect on her name, and that was two decades ago. And then I'm gonna get out. On that. Yep, that is <laughs> that is one short of the Belushi trilogy, where you got the number one movie, number one TV show, and number one album. All at the same time, I realized Wesley Snipes was was out of jail and was back to his ass kicking self in The Expendables Three. Didn't have a big role, but man, he was fun to watch The Expendables Three. And you see that, and you're like, okay, we could do another Blade with this guy. And as a matter of fact, one of the Jay, one of the negative reviews of Blade when it came out still made me chuckle because they just didn't think there was a lot of substance, and they referred to Wesley as Buff the Vampire Slayer, and I did think that was pretty funny. You know, it's like you you substance again. It's for some people, substance was in dialogue. You mm-hmm. know, what I'm saying it was right. how much you spoke. But Wesley, but Blade, the character worked without speaking so much. His stoic nature, that also his facial expressions, did so much for him. And like you said, when you go for him having fun, the comedic starts to show out because again, you see the sense of humor in Blade, and you're like, wait, what? But then you forget Major League. You know what I'm saying? You forget what he did in Major League, and then you watch going forward in his career. Again, white men can't jump. You see Money Train. You watch all these other things. Comedic has always been there. It's never been just one of those, oh, he picked it up. He's always had it. You know, you I mean, go- even Passenger 57, always because yeah. it always bet on black. That's like kind of a joke, but also kind of like be humble line. but let people know. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. great. It was great. Shout out to Mark Bernardin for that. I love his line. Folks don't know Mark Bernardin, great comic book writer, yes, great writer, is. writer. He's got a great tagline that says, be, be humble, humble, but let him Emma for no. And that's like the mentality of Blade the Daywalker. Cause he ain't gotta say it. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't gotta tell you who I am. You know who I am. Don't make me tell you who I am. Even when, <laughs> when he's in the park with Frost real quick and Frost is like, man, you got all of our strips and none of our weaknesses. Blade's like, uh, I don't see it that way, fam. Like, yeah, I get thirsty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's interesting now looking back on it. There's so much that this movie sort of gave birth to from as far as like sort of like 
the superhero genre, but if nothing else, we could just go back and say, they made so so many things could have gone wrong. The movie sat on a shelf for a year with a bad cut that everybody hated. Um, Steven Dorff wasn't even supposed to play uh, Steven Frost. This was supposed to be Jet Li, and he decided to do Lethal Weapon 4. One, I think even Jet Li wants back, if I'm being honest. Like, if he could make know. that trade again. Lethal Weapon 4 is a pretty great announcement for Jet Li. Like, that was a pretty sweet role for him. But I, I will say, Jet Li as Deacon Frost is pretty interesting. Okay, yeah. here's my little Blade trivia nugget. Can y'all tell okay. me, and, and, and this is how far Blade took us in just one movie. Can y'all tell me the most recent comic book movie release before Blade had come out? So the Before Blade had come out? Was it ni- Steel 1997. Or and it was Steel, Jacqueline Coley. Ah, what? I did not look that up. I literally was only, I had a running list of my head of black superhero movies. Steel would have not been on my list, though. Like, I, I remember what it was, but it was like, st- Steel? No, Steel? technically, technically, you had three black superhero or anti-hero movies in a row because you had Spawn in 97 and then you yep. also had steel and, and yep. it's not like anybody you know was rushing out to see steel unless you were like me and were a huge basketball fan and then yeah. blade came out in 98 and then the next movie was in fact x-men here's a fun one what was the first marvel movie that ever made it to screen because it's oh i know what it is howard the duck <laughs> Oh boy, that's how, good. I've always known that people forget Howard. <laughs> people only recently found out Howard was a Marvel character from Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. They'd only mm-hmm. recently found out from Guardians. Some people, some people. Well, like, I, but when I say some people, of I us were so obsessed with that duck sex and the girl from Teen Witch that we are deep, deep duck in breast. the Howard and the Duck. Duck breast. D- listen, Look, listen. You go not stop. Teen ducking. Witch has sex with. A duck. We get a female and, duck full like D cup breast taking a bath with a bonnet on in Howard the Duck. Don't you ever do- to, <laughs> to quote to quote um uh Polly from Teen Witch, top that. Stop that. Listen, y'all. <laughs> listen. Listen. Thank you for your gift uh, to the world, George Lucas. I'm so serious. Oh, okay. God. And also thank thank you guys. This is fun. This is great. I love getting able to talk movies that we get to have fun with. And yeah, it's a bit of a love session. I think we all can agree we think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about the score, but um, just Blade is just right. Yeah, yeah. Jay, thank you so much for joining us again today. Tell us uh, what folks should be looking out for for you and then also where folks can find you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I love doing this with y'all. Y'all got me to talk two great movies. First, Vampire in Brooklyn. Now this, y'all just keep warming my heart. Like y'all like- Eddie and Wesley. Eddie and- We gotta do Coming America We gotta do Coming to America. We're coming to America. Like we gotta, oh my God. But anyway, Blurred in the Hood every Tuesday and Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. on the East Coast with myself and Winston A. Marshall. It goes down on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Blurds in the Hood, B-L-E-R-D-S. The letter N-T-H-E-H-O-O-D. Like Jacqueline said earlier, we talk pop culture, news, entertainment, sports, and more from a blurred perspective and also we're unapologetically black it is what it is you don't like it but you can catch me there also the mad titan podcast where i get you caught up on all the things happening in the marvel and dc live action cinematic universes is barbershop talk for nerds and me personally on twitter and instagram at mr j washington m-r-j-a-y you should really know how to spell washington uh, yeah, I mean, he's on he's on the $1 bill. How do you miss that? Uh, Jay, since you are a pop culture and movie expert, though, we also have to have you tell us a movie and TV recommendation that you have. A movie recommendation that I have, I find myself going back to this just because I just love watching it for what it was. 1990s Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love watching this movie. It is the special effects that we get for the time and everything. It, it, it holds its R rating, but it earns it. And it's a Paul Verhoeven blood fest, no matter what. And for TV shows that I'm watching, I'm re-watching one of my favorites again. I love watching this from beginning to end, all five seasons. I am watching Quantum Leap once again, starring Sam Bakula and Dean Stockwell. I love it because you realize how much Dr. Dr. Sam Beckett was a superhero in a sense. The way he fought through racism, sexism, homophobia, oppression, everything. He was a superhero that God chose, literally. I love it. And uh, Scott Beck, who also had a pretty good right arm in Necessary Roughness. 
pretty yes, good. Yes, he did. Girl. Yes, he did. Pretty good. Over hey, the hill filmed there. at my undergraduate university, the University of North Texas. Really? Kathy Ireland was film. kicking field goals on your campus. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. That is that is at the screaming Mean Green Eagles. Uh, yeah, Mark. There you go. Well, yeah, I mean, you can find me at Mark Ellis Live singing the praises of Jacqueline's alma mater's movie of choice, Necessary Roughness. And you can also check me out on a bunch of shows on Peacock right now. It's the Rotten Tomatoes channel. You can go hit that up and uh, you'll probably see a lot of Jacqueline and I because why wouldn't you put us on the streaming platform for Rotten Tomatoes that you can check out for free on Peacock right now. And we love hearing from y'all. So we've gotten a lot of good recommendations from fans about upcoming movies you all want to see us talk about let us know what you want the conversation to center around you can email us anytime rt is wrong at rottentomatoes.com that's rt is wrong at rottentomatoes.com and she is at that jacqueline Yes, I am at that, Jacqueline, and I will be back here next week, no matter where you watch us or listen to us, where we are going to be talking about the movie. You know what, Mark? It's not over. It's still not over. It's the notebook. In the rain, <laughs> with the pearls, and the shot, oh, boy. and the kiss. <laughs> the movie that is probably, like, I think there's probably an entire generation of men that both love and hate this movie for... The fact that they probably got laid at the end of it, but hated the watching it hated watching before it. they got yeah. there. <laughs> it was a long walk to water. <laughs> oh, don't do this. But, don't do this. Don't do this. We got there. We this. ended up getting... I actually have a funny story about that that I will regale with everybody next week when we talk about The Notebook right here on this show. All right. Again, thank you for producer Lucy and for Jay, Christian behind the scenes, Mr. Mark Hoffmeyer, my co-host and partner in all things great, Mark Ellis and myself, Jacqueline. Again, thank you all for listening and we'll see you all next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.